Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another week of the Better Events Podcast. This is Mary Davidson, one of your co-hosts, and I am introducing today's episode all about mistakes. That's right. Mistakes and events. It, it happens to all of us. We're going to have a really good conversation today. So let's get into the episode about how you can avoid these common event mistakes. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. I'm your co-host, Logan Clements, and I'm joined by fellow co-host, Mary Davidson. And before we jump into this week's topic, all about common mistakes at events, we're going to do our conversation starter like we always do. And Mary, I have a, this is a real hard-hitting one. Do you think small talk is useful? Why or why not? Mm, interesting. Conversation starters are essentially small talk, right? <laughs> So this is the epitome of what we're doing. Do I think small talk is useful? I think it is uh, for certain periods of time. Like if it's just constant small talk, there's no substance. But to get started, you bet I'm going to use small talk. It's a good introdu- introduction, I guess, to a conversation. That's my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I have to agree with you. I felt like, yeah, it was kind of a meta question to ask this as our conversation starter because <laughs> yeah. I felt like we started doing a conversation starter on the podcast to help ease both ourselves in and our listeners. And I feel like there's also a little nugget of relatability that we can share or learn about each other with that, you know, as a way to kick off an episode. So I do think small talk is helpful. Um, I would suggest you have your go-tos of how to you know, whether it's an icebreaker, uh, I always say my go-to is to like be near the food or the drinks and make some comment about the food or the drinks to people who are also around it. And that's how I can break in um, with, with talking about, you know, something deeper. But I think as long as it leads to something and you don't just stay, like you said, Mary, in that small talk the entire time, it can be incredibly useful. Yep. You're here. Totally agree. Excited to small talk with you throughout the beginning <laughs> of the rest of our episodes. But but now we're going to get into the substance, you know? So this is a, hopefully an example of that. But uh, today we're talking about a topic that's, that's interesting. It's about mistakes and how we can avoid common mistakes at events. And we're going to share some mistakes that we've experienced or that we've seen. Um, but we just think this topic is important because it's common you know like we all never have events that are go 100% according to plan and so we're just going to kind of talk about what has happened and then what how you can rebound from some of these mistakes now I think mistakes is an interesting word so Logan I'd love to hear kind of what you think when we hear the word mistake yeah I think the event industry is a people industry and we're all human and human makes mistakes like that's just as as humans, we are going to make a mistake every so often. And so I feel like a mistake is either something that you, I think it encompasses both something you could have foreseen and the unforeseeable. I mean, so much of what we do in events, I feel like is like some forecasting and thinking and anticipating all of the things that could go wrong and making sure we're getting ahead of it. And so I think even for the most seasoned planner, there will always be something new. You can always learn something new. There will always be a mistake or a lesson learned 
So listeners, if you don't like the word mistake, maybe you can say lesson learned. But I think this is something that no matter if you've been in the industry a year or if you've been in it 30 years, you're going to probably some of these scenarios are going to resonate with you. And Mary and I are just going to kind of share how we approach those mistakes or challenges and like what we take away from them moving forward. Um, And ideally, so you don't have to experience it as often as maybe we have. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's interesting because um, you better believe I Googled mistake and tried to figure out what the definition of mistake is because it's something that's misguided. It says, let's see, an action or judgment that is misguided or wrong. So I don't know. As we talk through these, think about it because it's going to be interesting. Some I'm already like defensive. I'm like, but are we misguided or did we just like it just was an accident? Like, you know what I mean? And so the reality is that someone has to do something to solve these mistakes or these problems that come up. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. And, and misguided or, you know, it. I, I think it really can all it's how you want to spin it, I guess, right. is really yeah. what it is. Um, because this isn't also to point a finger and like place blame. I just think this is, I was really excited to talk through this topic with you, Mary, because I feel like so much of what we do is being professional problem solvers. So helping walk listeners through some problems they're most likely going to face since you and I have faced, I would say every single one that I have listed out here, um, that we can kind of hopefully again, save you from experiencing it maybe to the extent, because yes, some of the things we're going to talk about is also going to be things that aren't in our control which as planners can be very difficult, but like we can't control the weather, but you can control how, what your plan was for said weather. And that can evolve because you probably made a mistake or two the first time you dealt with a rain plan. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Well, Um, I'm excited. Yeah. Our first one, um, I guess we'll go through some examples. So talk to us about directional signage, Logan. This is your favorite thing on the planet. (laughs) <laughs> I know we had to kick off with my personal pet peeve in events. Um, I feel like a common mistake I see at events is not having enough directional signage. And so what I mean by directional signage is things that tell you where to go for certain functions. So food this way or meals, or how do I get to the general session room or how do I get to dinner or where's the photo booth? Most common one, where's the bathroom? Uh, how do I get out of here? How do I go check in for registration? All of those things I feel like you can think through, but if maybe you haven't done a site visit, meaning you've gone and visited the venue of where you're going to go and thought through exactly the flow of where your attendees are going to go, you might make that mistake of not having enough, or you just honestly don't think about it because you might've been at this venue so many times. You're like, oh, all of our guests are going to be like me and know it like the back of their hand. And then you have your staff is fielding millions of questions about where's the bathroom and you're going, I probably should have put a bathroom sign. Or like I had an event where we um, had a number of smokers who wanted to have a smoking section and we were like, oh, we just thought people would go stand in this one area. And it was like, oh, in the future, you probably need a sign for that area to be like that way. Please go do it in this one area that we want you to do. Um, So it's just one that I feel like is a common mistake. And so just being very aware and making notes about what questions you're getting asked all the time can help inform you which way to go. And like one common solution I've seen for this is people printing the actual sections and the areas that they want you to go to, but not printing the arrows and making the arrows stickers so that at the event, once you actually set things up, install signage, these are posters, these are, um, you know, things on easels. It could even be an installation that's actually like a sticker to a wall. You then go around and kind of walk the route and put this, put the arrows in the correct directions to kind of guide people where to go. But 
doesn't matter if you have a budget of like $50 or $5,000 or $50,000 for your signage. I just, I often find it's lacking. Yeah. I love that idea of stickers. I've seen it with like Velcro pieces and stuff. So you can reuse it if that works for that event. I think that's a great idea. I was just at an event that was like a pretty small space, but I thought they did signage really well. And I almost was like, is it too good? You know, like, is there too much signage like for example you're just talking about restrooms it doesn't exist it doesn't I, exist <laughs> I think it doesn't exist yeah I, I agree with that but it was just kind of funny because there was like a restroom sign right in front of the actual restroom sign and I'm like I don't know Phil's just like a bit much but I mean you sure you sure won't miss it like so that's good but yeah, yeah no I don't think that you can have um too much but like to rebound from something like this you could definitely have like a volunteer or you grab somebody and you're like, you need to go stand there because we can see that this is a bottleneck and this is a problem. So you can like tell people where to go. Um, I always feel bad. I'm like, what a boring volunteer job for someone just to stand there. But also like people can really help move the flow around for sure. Yeah, that's a great one. I feel like I've, I've referred to those people as human signage sometimes. And that can also be like, if it is a cost saving issue or like Mary saying, like you found this out the day before the event, you're on site setting up and you're like, oh no, it's really confusing. It's That's a very easy in the sense that you don't have to get something printed or maybe pay for that. But like you are then using extra bodies of humans to actually direct people and send them to the right, into the right, the right place. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. Our next mistake we have, Mary, I feel like, have you had this come up recently? Uh, sessions running late. So whether that's content sessions or the actual meal portion of your event running over. Yeah, there was one event that like it, it was kind of the whole thing. It was just running over like we needed to be out of the venue by a certain time. And and that and it was like the type of production where, you know, if you're not out, then people are going to start incurring, I don't know, more time or overtime if that's applicable. And like some serious fees would get tacked on like at, like at least like $5,000 from just going over a little bit. So it was like, we have to get out of here. And so we're like trying to get a hold. It's like, it's like the pivotal moment of the event. It's like the end, you know, people are excited, but you're like, we literally have to close this down ASAP. So we're like trying to um, talk to the client and be like, we need your okay that like, you don't want to extend because we got to like shut this down real quick. <laughs> And, and we couldn't get a response from them too. And so we ended up, the venue was nice and they gave us like a 15 minute extension and that's all that we needed to be able to get out of there in time. But if that hadn't happened, problem, problem, problem. So we learned hard, a hard lesson about like for this event specifically that we need some more time for the program next time. Yeah, I think a big one, and maybe that's going to be a common theme, I feel like, as we talk through these mistakes is, and probably why in my head I call them mistakes because usually they have a financial impact. And so- you know, it's not necessarily something maybe the client or like the host of the event or maybe attendees notice, but it is something that like later on when they reconcile, be like, oh, where did that expense come from? And listeners, this is a great call out. If you do have certain items that go way over budget um, post event, that might be a reason you're like, oh, there's a mistake. What can we do to solve it? But yeah, I had a session. Sessions running late, I feel like is one that just kind of blows my mind that it still happens. But again, it's humans as a part of it. So whether it's a speaker talking too long um, or I recently had an event where we had to start our session late because we had a big crush at registration right before this main keynote. And like now it's in my head. I'm like, we should have just anticipated that most people weren't going to take advantage of registration being open all day. And they all were going to come those 15 minutes before. 
And the frustrating part was that wasn't my part of the event. My part of the event was the show and the production in the room. But we were then delayed because of registration taking so long. And then we had to start late. And because we started late, the sessions after us had to start late. And it was just kind of something we had notes from the year before that were like, we have 3000 people to move. Like that's just a lot of bodies to try to move anywhere in 10, 15 minutes that it just makes me think through, like have those conversations about how much time you actually need, not aspirationally want. I had this conversation with a client a couple months ago. I was like, we don't do the aspirational runtime. We should do the actual runtime because often you're not going to hit the aspirational one. So I'm like, if anything, pad to Mary's point, like pad your loadout time or have longer breaks when you have a larger group, or if meals are served really far away from wherever the people are before then, like pad that in. Um, Because it just, again, it's like the trickle down effect. And I had it at another conference where I was doing breakouts and the general session room ran over and we hadn't like, no one had talked through us of like what that would do to impact the rooms and they didn't tell the speakers. The speakers were like, do I just start if I think everyone's here or do I wait till a certain time? Like, I think it's just the trickle down effect of that. Like talk about that ahead of time. What happens if this runs late? Not saying it will, but if it does, what's the process? Who texts who? Who's making the call of when we really do start the next thing? Like talk through it because I it's been so common. Um, and to your point, Mary, it can have financial implications. Yeah, that's interesting. That's making me think because like truly anything that involves moving attendees from one space to the other takes way more time (laughs) than you ever think it will. It's literally like herding cats. You can make announcements and it doesn't even matter. (laughs) Like they just take their sweet time. So that's interesting. Or even like a call out was like at a conference, we had like an 8 a.m. session and who is act like, it's almost like back to like school days. Like who's actually going to be on time at Mm -hmm. eight o'clock. It's like, we should just plan on a five minute late start or a 10 minute late start. Cause you just know people are getting their coffee. They're taking their time. They have a long walk from their hotel, like whatever it is. It's like taking some of that stuff into account and maybe publicly keeping it as eight o'clock, but internally it's like, all right, we have less time for content because we are buffering in that we're going to wait until we have a critical mass of people in the room just because it's so early. Definitely. Okay. This is interesting. Um, and then, so that kind of brings us to another one, which I I know that we've both experienced. Logan, I'm curious if you've experienced it recently, but when the when tech's not working, what do you do? And maybe sometimes it is a mistake, but like you should, of course, have that backup plan. But the reality is, this is pretty common. So what do you do? Oh, it's so common. I mean, it's it's sad. It's so common. I mean, I joke, tech not working is kind of why I have a job a lot of times. <laughs> I have a couple of clients I work with that purely I am that person that when the tech doesn't work, they look at me and they're like, Logan, fix it or help. And I will be the one who then talks with the tech. I can't be the one who necessarily plugs things in, but I can then talk to the tech to be like, what do we do? Um, This falls under our backup plans that we always talk about. Plan on the tech not working. Talk through it ahead of time. But yes, I've been there when um, I had a speaker turn off their microphone because it was a lovely lav mic and the speaker was so comfortable. They just like had put it in their pocket. And when they reach for the clicker, must have flipped their mic off. And so they start talking and it's like their mic's not on. And our tech's like, the mic's, it's all the way up here. I don't see a light though. So it must have, it's not on. And so we ended up having a stagehand like run out with the handheld mic and he made it maybe halfway across the stage before the guy figured out where the on button was on his mic, turned it on and it worked. So we didn't have to use the handheld. 
but it was like one of those of like, we always lock our microphones on. Why didn't that happen? Like who, you know, it was like a mistake that someone had made and just hadn't remembered to auto lock that microphone on so that the person wearing it can't turn it off. The people in the back of the room control essentially when it's hot and when it's off. Um, so like, yeah. again, just having like extras, I feel like is the big thing when you have tech not that doesn't work. It's like having the backup laptop, having the extra microphone, or just knowing, do you have the we'll be right back slide? Because you're right, Mary. I mean, I feel like I can, I could keep talking. What, what's a time where you've had tech that doesn't work? Oh, I mean, I, you, the microphone thing made me just think like I was on an event and someone turned, it was a handheld that has the on and off button and they turned it off and it was the same exact situation. Now I'm like, I hate those. <laughs> or I'm like, just don't touch anything. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, yeah, no, it's happened so many times. I liked your example. I feel like that that is a good example. Um, but, yeah, you're right. We could talk about this forever, especially during the world of virtual events. We've had a lot of stories. I was going to say know. virtual, like, I feel like it's a, it's I don't even think about it anymore. I always have a backup link. Yeah. So if it's a Zoom, I have a backup Zoom. The link's already set up. I already have it in like a my workbook. I have it. So it's easily copy and pasteable. Mary and I did an event where we talked about that process of like, let's even draft the email that would yeah. be sent out with the new link should something happen. And we never had to hit send on it, but it was like, we had it just in case. Um, if I streamed a Vimeo, same thing. I always have a backup link already made, like anything I can do to save myself time in the moment. And I feel like this applies probably to more than just this one mistake, but especially with tech, because I feel like sometimes, you know, four seconds of a microphone being off can feel like a minute. Like yeah. it can just, it can feel so long. Um, so yeah, just having backups, spare batteries, double, triple, quadruple checking stuff, always making you, I, you know, tech rehearsals are so important for that reason. So if you ever have a tech vendor who like doesn't want to let you have rehearsal time, even if it's just mic checking, playing a video to make sure the audio sounds okay, like just push for it, people, because I, I just had someone, uh, was another podcast I was listening to the other day was talking about how AV can kill your event. I was like, that's so harsh. Ooh, wow. Can really word. kill. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, strong feelings. But I was like, but actually it is true, I guess. If you're doing a beautiful gala with amazing dinner and this amazing call to action, but no one can hear it because the video doesn't play right or the microphone stops working or the clicker's being difficult or you got awful feedback in your ear because the audio is like something's off, like those really can color an experience. And yeah. often you won't think about the AV. When it all goes right, you often don't think about the AV at all, the tech part. It's like, oh, it's just, you know, you shouldn't even notice it. Um but yeah, so that's a common one. Listeners, if you've experienced it, we hear you. It happens mm -hmm. all the time. Again, it's more about how you react to it than controlling that mistake not happening because so much of it is just human error. Yeah, and I think you also mentioned something really quick, but I thought that it, it could apply to anything that we're talking about is if something goes wrong, sometimes it is great to preemptively as part of that contingency plan have an email drafted. And this could even be as far as I was at a, conference and I went to a session that was about I don't remember what it was called but it was like um like disaster planning for events like if something crazy happens do you have an email drafted to send to attendees either for like a safety purpose or like um some crazy person gets on stage and says something crazy like do you have something drafted kind of as like a an apology almost like own the situation and I and I've thought about that ever since then I'm like this is an interesting idea just to have something ready to go if something happens because a lot of times you have to react quickly and so it's hard to draft something that is eloquent when you're feeling a lot of these emotions so I think I just wanted to call that out for anything we're talking about that could be a good solution depending on what it is. 
Definitely. Um, our next mistake we see at events, I feel like, and again, maybe you don't call it a mistake, but Mary, have you ever had a situation where an event has finished early? I'm trying to think. This is interesting. Like definitely late, but early. Yeah, I guess I have had a few, but it hasn't been it hasn't been a problem. I think sometimes we've been surprised that people haven't stayed, you know, like sometimes you buffer in time for them to socialize and linger and sometimes they just get out of there. That's never really like a problem. What about you? I had it once as a problem because it was a essentially a dinner that had an after party. And I, again, I was like you and I was in the camp, like if we finish early, it's a great problem to have. People love when you finish early. Wrong. Because the after party was only going to be set up by a certain time. So we essentially in the moment while it's actually happening, had to live communicate to our host, to our stage manager to tell him to slow down because he was going so quick. And we'd been emphasizing a lot of it was like, yeah, keep it moving. People say it always drags too much. And he was doing a great job of it, but he was almost going, he actually went too quick and we had to have him slow down because we were getting told by the logistics company, the after party won't be ready. People are still setting up. Like we were not going to be prepared. It's not technically supposed to start till nine. Earliest we're going to be ready is 845. You cannot finish before 845. And that was a scenario where I was like, now I need to think about, I always think about the late because yes, like you married, it's like overtime, overages, but now if only everything I'm, I, I do ask that question <laughs> when other things are in play, usually more common for in-person events where there's a lot of setup and things and logistics that, you know, maybe the shuttles aren't running if we finish early and we need to know what to do with that time or have the DJ play longer or something. Um, but again, just good to know and make note of in the moment, quickly kind of talking through what that looks like, what's the plan. And then afterward realizing like, could then if it finishes too early, should we start a little later? Or do we need to give more of a break at a certain time to make sure it's finishing closer to what we want? Um, and this is more significant. I'm talking about like 15 to 30 minutes early, not when you finish like two minutes early. I mean, everyone loves that. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of one of the scenarios I had where I realized I was like, oh, it was a little bit of a stressful finish because we were trying to get them to slow down. And our next one is pretty common as well. But an attendee showing up who isn't registered or on the attendee list. What do you do in this situation? Yeah. And I, this goes under mistakes because sometimes it's a mistake of the organizer, but often it's a human error on the attendees part, but they're going to be upset. I had this yeah. at a, an event a couple months ago where I had a very enraged person who couldn't understand why I didn't have their guest registered. And they swore yeah. up and down that that person was registered. And I ended up, I had, I guess the way we dealt with this mistake was more that we had what I will call a trouble table. And I will never externally to a guest call it the trouble table, but it's essentially with multiple registration stations set up. And then I was the trouble table. So anyone who was complicated, who we couldn't find their name, anything like that, they just said, oh, my colleague Logan down here can help you. So we were able to kind of triage issues to keep the line moving, keep people moving. But anyway, long story short, it turns out uh, the person who registered this gentleman and his guest had incorrectly marked down his guest as his wife, gave them both the same last name. So when we were trying to search her last name, it didn't come up. They were not married. They are not actually, it was again, human error, but we were able to find them and they were registered and get them in. Um, so it wasn't, again, a human error. It was more just having that kind of like registration set up that helped triage. And then this is also just like a scenario now that I talk about at any event. It's part of my backup plans. If I'm helping with registration at all, um, which I'm doing for a couple events, I talk through that. Like, what is that process? Do we let people register day of? Are we worried about people sneaking into the event? Do we need to be checking IDs to make sure the person who says they're Mary Davidson is Mary Davidson? Um, 
because then that kind of impacts what kind of how you're going to approach that situation. And often the person working registration like myself, or if it was a volunteer, like they're not going to know that information unless you've told them, yes, we're still selling tickets. No, we're not. You know, here's who I'm referring you to. I'm referring you to Logan. I'm referring you to the client. I'm referring you, you know, whoever that is. Um, Mary, how have you handled this scenario of having an attendee who isn't registered or on the attendee list? Yeah, I love what you said about having that troubleshooting table because registration is, like, as far as event flow, truly is one of the main spots for bottlenecks, I feel like. So that those tables super, super help. But then also for events that I've done, it's so helpful to have someone from the client side there. And sometimes this is a hard role to fill is because it needs to be somebody who is familiar with the guests and it was almost part of that um, like invitation process. And those people are the ones who really should be like interacting at the event, doing other things. So sometimes I found it difficult to identify the person to stay behind registration, but it's really helpful when they do, because if so-and-so shows up, there's only so much you as a third party person can do to know that they're legit. But somebody from the organization could come and be like, oh, you're so-and-so. Yep, we'll get you seated. No problem. You'd really fit well at this table. Like, that's hard for us to do. It just is. So I love having, like, best case scenario, somebody like that is there and can help. Yeah. And it, it's going to happen. I feel like no matter how <laughs> how thorough you are with your list, again, human error, it's going to happen. Um, Mary, how have you dealt with the uh, the common mistake we see of going over budget at an event? This is something that if I feel like if it's well, there's two scenarios. One's pre-event. If it's pre-event, you can you can usually catch it. Like you know it's happening if you're tracking the budget. So it's more just like getting approval along the way. Um, but I think it really comes down to like the goals because is this thing that's causing you to go over budget? Like, do you need it? Is it like going to be that impactful for the goal of your event, whatever it is? And a lot of times the answer is no. So we actually decide not to do it. But if it's gonna affect something that's super important to the event, like the the content or the quality of like if you're like if you're live streaming a hybrid event and you don't have like the Logan I know you feel passionate about cameras and like how many cameras that could really influence that virtual um, attendees experience so then that is a true conversation on is this worth you know adding to the budget and does it make sense so I think it's just a conversation piece and a lot of times the clients they need our recommendation you know because they don't know they're like should I be spending my money on this and so they want us to kind of help them figure that out which sometimes feels like a lot of pressure but I also appreciate you know that they're asking or considering um when it happens in person I have never had to deal with that but I was listening to another person talk and they were saying that you can bring like a change order form or not a change order. It's something that it's like a form you bring on site and you're basically getting approval. Like someone will sign it from who's in charge of the client financials or whatever, basically saying like, yes, I approve this expense that you need to do on site last minute, which I think protects you as the planner or producer. So I really liked that idea, but I've never had to do that. What about you? Yeah, I think to that point, I was going to say my my biggest, I, this has definitely happened. A lot of times I find we'll go through that triage process. Like you talk about pre-event, Mary. And then once you're on site, I've had some clients who like budget doesn't matter. Just get it done. Like we just want it. We would just want it solved. And the big thing has been, yeah, keeping track of who gave what approval when, how we got in this scenario that all of a sudden were, you know, to your example earlier, Mary, like $5,000 of overage fees if we stay late. And it's like, well, why were we late? It's because programming ran long. It's not something you did as the something you controlled. It's the people on stage. Like just making note of all of that is very helpful for 
getting ahead of it. And yeah, it, formalizing it as much as you just mentioned, Mary, like in an actual form, I think is, is great. I don't always know if that's applicable in a scenario sometimes when it's so fast that you have to have those answers of like what's happening. Um, but just making notes, I feel like uh, that's my common theme I'll say for all of these mistakes is writing it down is just so helpful to help future you or future client avoid that. So you don't have to keep having these same scenarios over and over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. And then another one too is kind of fresh in my brain, which is not having enough food at an event, which is kind of a mistake. <laughs> but I don't know if you've had to deal with this, Logan, but there there was an event that just gives me anxiety thinking about it because um, as part of the registration process, the there were a couple of leaders of the organization that told their some they told any attendee that they spoke to that they could bring a guest they could bring a plus one big problem for many reasons this is a seated dinner <laughs> so yeah it was a little bit of a disaster for a moment um but the biggest problem was that we were going to run out of food and so it, it became a point of saying we can put this person in the room but they can't eat so we need to decide what we're going to do. They can go enjoy the show, but we will not have food for them. So what do you want to do? <laughs> like it was a, it was kind of intense one way or another. It worked out um, and we were able to fit who we needed to fit. But but we were originally going to feed vendors and volunteers with the, that meal. And we didn't because we ended up giving that to attendees. So then we had to go do a last minute order. We ended up getting pizza for vendors and volunteers which like I, my heart hurts because I'm like I wanted to feed them better but at least they got fed and then that's kind of how we were able to work with it but this was a really stressful situation because caterers are amazing but they're also not magic they can't like bring food out of thin air so have you ever had to deal with this I have not had to deal with it recently just because I haven't been dealing with the food order um but I know it's common similar to your point of I feel like the mistake is often that you underestimate if you run out, it's either you underestimate how many people are coming or you underestimated how much they were going to eat. Um, I had this, I feel like as I worked as a cater as a banquet server at a country club was my first event official experience when I was in college. And it was funny to see the difference in just how attendees acted and like the atmosphere when you had plenty of food to go around versus when you had limited food going around and they wanted us to make it look like there was more food going around, but you would get way more people in your face trying to get the food when it was limited versus how hard it would be if we had lots of food. It, you know, it was harder to get people to take stuff off our trays. And so it's one that while you don't want to be wasteful, I think it sounds like Mary, you guys had a great scenario like in the moment. Cause yeah, mine would have been like in that scenario, I'd be like, can we order food in? Because or whatever the venue has as an alternative, or could we make it instead of plated desserts, it's all cut up in smaller pieces and you go get it. So everybody can have a bite versus a full portion or something like you want to, you, you do need to think through that of what you would do. Um, Cause again, it's food running out of like food and drinks is I feel like one of the big ones that attendees do notice out of this whole list. I feel like there's a lot of things that maybe aren't noticeable or memorable for attendees. Um, but that is one of them. So just having that backup plan in place. And then our next one, I feel like we I've experienced this as a, as a volunteer, as a worker, and as somebody who is running the event. But um, a common event mistake I see has been like being understaffed, whether that's like volunteers just no show. You know, they said they were going to volunteer and they don't show up or maybe someone got sick or maybe at some of my smaller events where I've been like, it's just me. I can do it. It's, you know, small enough for just me. And then I feel like I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to be in five places at once. Um 
this is one that I feel like I can't stress enough. We have an episode where we talked about staffing shortages and shared a couple solutions. If you feel like you're experiencing this like time and time again, um, I have recently had a, a, a volunteers for an event. I probably had about a 50% no-show rate, which was really high. Um, and luckily I padded my volunteers enough that like we could make it make do with only eight of the 16 showing up. But something I found that was really helpful was I had done like a prep call ahead of time, just a 30 minute virtual call to like talk through the event and volunteer roles. And I looked back at that afterward and I was like, oh, the people who showed up were a majority of the people who came to that call. Like it was a good indicator of like, okay, this is more than someone just submitting a form and saying yes and then forgetting about it. It's like, oh, those people saw my face. I heard a couple of them talk and ask questions. Yes, they're going to show up. And that was something that I'm now doing at a couple other events I have coming up. Not so much to help with no show, but more just because I'm finding that's a good indicator of like how many folks I think will actually then be there to help me. Mary, how, how have you dealt with the event mistake of being understaffed? Yeah, well, I don't know how many times I have to learn this lesson, I will say. So <laughs> that I did think I did four events in a row recently when I every time was like, why didn't I staff someone just to be in charge of speakers the day of? Whether that is stage management or just like a speaker manager, like, oh my gosh, even for small short programs with like four speakers, I was busy doing other stuff. And so I was every time I'm like, why don't I learn this lesson? <laughs> So you know, mark my words, everybody moving forward, I'm going to try to make sure somebody covers this. That's not me because uh, it just kept falling through the cracks. So, I mean, this just happens. It's so common, like you said, and learn from our mistakes. There you go. Yeah. And in the moment, I feel like acknowledging it is really helpful. Like if you are asking volunteers to do a lot or if it's you plus like one staffer, I know Mary, you and I did an event. I think last year that I like openly looked at you and was like, we're going to get another person next year. Cause it was just like too many things. Like I had five people in my year. I was trying to ask Mary to do five different things. And I was like, I know I'm giving you conflicting information because you're one person, but somehow between the two of us, we have to get everything done. And so like acknowledging that I think is helpful, especially having been a volunteer and some, you know, someone, if it's like, Hey, I really appreciate you being here. I'm learning from this. I know we need extra people. Or if you've been that volunteer, like just voicing that of like, hey, if we had more people, this would have gone faster. We wouldn't have been struggling to set place settings on 100 tables if we had more bodies, you know, and, and having those conversations can kind of help you try to get more, you know, build your case, I guess. If it's a funding issue, if it's a recruiting issue, like you need to build a case of being like, here's the roles I actually did. Here's what I thought I was going to do. Here's what I actually did. And that's why I need more people. Like your point, Mary, of like, Speaker wrangling was a full-time job <laughs> and you needed me doing these five other things. So I can't be that person. Therefore, I need to pay somebody to come in and do it. Right. Yep, definitely. And we have one more, which is clients asking for things out of scope. How do you avoid this mistake, Logan? Is oh, it common? Love, Probably. <laughs> we love scope creep. Love Again, we'll link, we'll link to the episode. We have one about the good, the bad, and the ugly of scope creep. Um, and we'll put that down in the show notes. But this is one. Why is it a common mistake? Because I feel like in the moment, there are times where I have done this, where I have allowed a client to do something, ask me to do something that's out of scope because I've just been like, for the good of the event, I honestly know there's no one else who can do it. So I'm going to do it. And whether that's helping with like, I've had a client where I've helped with marketing materials before. I've made social media graphics for them or speaker graphics or things that, again, I wouldn't normally do for the good of the event. Um, I will generally push back against this if I know there's someone else who should be doing it at the event 
and they're just asking me because I'm present. And I'll be like, well, I've got these five other things that I'm worrying about right now. Is this a prior? Do you want me to stop doing those and work on this instead? Or do you want me to go find the person who can help with that? Or I'm not sure that's not my, like, you know, that's not the role that I'm in here at this event. Let me direct you to this person and see if they can help you find the right person. It's always easier said than done <laughs> because I think this is something that is just, you got to kind of figure out your own boundaries of like what you're comfortable doing. And again, for me, it even, it's not even my own personal, it's my personal plus the client specific. I feel like I tend to be more forgiving with some of my nonprofit clients. Um, but again, I take pretty decent notes or try to, to make sure that then in the future that's included in the scope. And I had a client where I did that. I helped with some marketing materials next year. I just put it in the scope and I put in a couple hours there and they feel like we had one conversation. They're like, well, was that really needed? And I was like, I did that for you last year. And so I think you need to do it again this year. And I want to include it officially in what I'm doing for you because you need it and you don't have somebody else to do it. So Mary, how about you? What about, how do you handle the event mistake of getting asked for things out of scope? It's so hard and I'm still learning, honestly. Like if it's something small, sometimes I, like you said, I'll just do it and then make note for the future to make sure they, they kind of know what we spend our time on. But I have found that most people are respectful of the scope. And I think it's because of like how we do the proposals and the contracts that they are like very aware of what items are part of it because they'll usually want to edit it or add to it. So they like know what it is. And sometimes when I go in and they're just like, all right, we're really mindful of your time. And so we're going to do this and this. I'm like, okay, thank you. Like, that's nice. But then that's not always how it works. And so when it does happen, um, if it's something bigger, I have had to push back recently on a couple things, but I don't know. It hurts my heart. I'm a people pleaser. So pushing back on scope creep is just a continual challenge for me. So I like what you said, Logan, and I don't know that I can add more than that, but I'm learning. So learn we'll have you go back. <laughs> you can re-listen to our episode about scope creep, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because <laughs> there are I times know. when it's good. We talk about, I feel like the big takeaway from there, to spoil a little bit, was, was yeah, sometimes it's good to showcase you can do more. But the, the line you draw is when it is truly out of scope. It is not something that you're good at, or maybe you specialize in, or it is truly taking away. And this is again, where I think a common mistake can be people are like, I want to people please, I'm going to go help you do this thing. And then something that was on your actual scope in on your plate falls through the cracks because you were busy doing this other thing. And that's again, the, the mantra I always tell clients, it's like, you have the right people in the right roles, but we want to make sure we stay focused on those roles and just understanding what those are. So when it goes, we're not designers. I'm not making big edits to your slides. If you want to delete a word, totally can do that. If you want to redo a whole diagram and put icons places, it goes, I can't do, I'm going to need you to do that and give it back to me. Um, just because it's a little more extensive, that's going to take someone's time to do that versus focusing on that tech run through or whatever it is we're doing. But yeah, Mary, anything else to add about, I feel like we've gone through a lot of common mistakes, given them some avoidance, but also how to rebound is the big one. I feel like, cause mistakes are going to happen. That's just, my big thing. Yep. They're just going to happen. So no, I think we covered a lot of them, a lot of common mistakes. Um, so we could probably talk forever for this, but we'll just leave it there today. And that leaves, then brings us to the end of our episode and our bonus tip, which Logan has today. Yes, I have the bonus tip and you have heard us talk probably agnosium about post-event reports for events and how important it is to write down key takeaways, lessons learned, especially for this event, this episode, it's so pertinent, but I would encourage you to do it for 
your personal events too. So start a note on your phone or somewhere just to jot down some like lessons learned. I go to this annual concert at the Gorge, which is an outdoor venue here, music venue here in Washington state. And last year I kind of jokingly jotted down some bullet points of things that I wanted to remember because I knew we would come back again the following year. And it was like as small as noting how many bags of ice we ended up purchasing (laughs) between what we pre-bought in and then what we bought while we were on site to even just reminding ourselves that the venue has a clear bag policy. And I kid you not, that list was so helpful for me this year when I was getting ready. Even the small stuff was kind of funny, but also like, oh yeah, okay, I remember what I need. And so don't be afraid if you have like a trip you take with your family or your friends, or you always go to this one place, like start jotting down some key takeaways for yourself because it'll just only help future you. Love it. Great bonus tip. And thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. You can find us or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn at Better Events Pod. You can email us, which we love to receive at bettereventspod at gmail.com. Or you can check out our website, bettereventspod.com. And that's all that we have for you today. So thank you so much. And we will be back with you again next Wednesday. 